there. Where you going? No, man, you got the right classroom. Come on in, take a seat beside me, my friend. Hey, look, here come T.A. Charlie. Let's see what he got to say. Hanukkah Sameach. In morning, you're Easy watching the Road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic. Homeroom is on Rumble. You just go to Rumble and you search the channels for the Road to Concord. It's one word. When you find it, you go ahead and you click follow. It might mean you got to set up an account, but it's fast, it's easy, it's free. I did it, you can do it. For those technologically challenged members of the class, you can also catch us on Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, and even today on YouTube. Then you can catch the podcast after the show. It's uploaded to Podbean, iHeartRadio, and Spotify, and hopefully to BitChute. Just look for The Road to Concord. You can go to the blog page, that's theroadtoconcord.com. That's where you'll find all your show notes, study notes, and handouts for the class. Finally, you can email the professor at joe at theroadtoconcord.com. He's a little slow, but he'll eventually get around to emailing you back. Phones are, oh, phones, yeah, phones are on today. That's right, we have phones. Ha, 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 ha. But only for registered numbers. Only if you've called in the show before. We only accept calls from regular known classmates. If you wish to call in and are a regular classmate, you may request phone access through an email. That doesn't mean you'll get it, but you can request it. If you find our classes helpful, please click the thumbs up, like, subscribe, and share it with those you think could benefit from it. Warn them. Warn them. Joe is an acquired taste. (sighs) Not like donuts. Sorry. But he is donated today. This show is listener-sponsored, meaning we do not solicit business advertising, so we are not limited in the content we provide for y'all. With that said, we do ask for your participation on a value-for-value basis. If you find our show of value to you, then you provide an equivalent portion of your labor and treasure through the donut link on the Road to Concord blog page, the description on Rumble, and the comments on the other streams. Hey, we all know T.A. Charlie isn't all there. Now, just stay seated and give it a chance. You'll soon realize we not might be the smartest, but we each independently form opinions based on reason and logic. We're free thinkers. Let's see what the road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic has on the lesson plan for today. We have to be free thinkers. Nobody's going to pay us to think. Not around here. But wait for him to get done. He was taking so much time. He's so slow. Uh, sure, crash. Oh, I got one for the top of the hour. Still in a box. Gummy bear. I don't know if you've seen the comment in the top of the rumble section. Thank you for the donuts, but that's still only six. Remember, our deal was a full dozen. <sighs> yes, I'm donated. It's Friday. Finally, Friday, quack, quack. Anyway, anyway, yeah, it's, I'm, you know, we're all here because he's not all there. If you're not a Garth Brooks fan, that won't make any sense to you. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) The tortoise is joining in the fun. (laughs) Comments on the board. Okay, it's Friday. And normally we are either going to talk about the founding fathers or logic, reason. Today, I'm going to do that. May I'm going to get serious on here in just a minute because I've got a serious topic to discuss. Um, just real quick, let me set this up. 
I'm going to talk about applied logic. How do you use reason? Some of the things we've tried to discuss and talk about and teach each other. Um, how do you use that in a real world situation? Okay. First thing you need is a real world situation to examine. Now this might, you know, whatever. I'm not going to apologize for this by now. Y'all know this. So I grabbed a subject that I'm currently dealing with. Charlie and I are in the first phases of what we hope will eventually be a book, a real book that you can get all, you know, Kindle and read it. And we might even get it printed. We'll see how it goes. But we're doing the, the research phase of this right now, starting to get our ideas in, in order. And I figured uh, for four weeks in a row, I was going to address this. So last Friday, we addressed worldview. Why is that important? And you'll see today. The issue at hand is what's known as the Hebrew Roots Movement. This is a movement within the greater Christian, Judeo-Christian faith. And this is going to be the illustration I use today. I want to look at this issue. I will be applying logic. You will see. So make what you will of the, of the subject I'm going to use for the purposes of my study. I did this on purpose. I'm hoping that there are enough of the class that's normally with us on Wednesdays that are here today on Friday. I'm looking for your comments and your questions. I want your feedback as much as you'll give me, either on the comment board with Charlie and Natasha or send an email. Questions, comments, suggestions, points that we need to clarify, whatever. You're going to help Charlie and I start working this out. At least you're going to be part of the part of what we're doing here. So without any further ado, let's just go ahead and get on this. The Hebrew Roots Movement, right? This is from gotquestions.org. I will address, today is just, we're framing the issue of the Hebrew Roots Movement. What is it and what are some of the you know issues dealing with this? I'm still spitballing. I haven't started to narrow anything down just yet. I'm setting the table. There's no definitive answers in today's show, but there will be some some logical questions and it will set the table for the next two Fridays. And what I'm going to do, if y'all don't mind, I'm going to just put that up there this way. Mostly this is a day where I'm just going to talk to you, but I do have a slideshow <clears throat> and you should be able to read it um, at least for sure if you're on a computer, but if you're watching us on your phone, it might be a little hard. It won't matter. I'm going to read the slides for you anyhow. So just keep working, driving, whatever you're doing and just, you know, let me bore you to death. So what exactly is the Hebrew Roots Movement? One of the primary problems we have is nobody really knows. Oh, what do you mean, Joe? You got a name for it. You got to know what it means. No, no, you don't. I've been doing some reading on this. Uh, you'll see this book in a minute, but this is Twistomatic Theology. He doesn't have a definition for the Hebrew Roots Movement. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is Christianity's Hebrew Roots Movement. These books are against it. They're, they're, they're negative toward the Hebrew roots movement, but here's another book. It doesn't have a definition of the Hebrew roots movement. This one here is ancient origins of the Hebrew roots movement. It's pro. It doesn't have a definition for the Hebrew roots movement. This one digging up the Hebrew roots is the faith once delivered. This one doesn't have a definition for the Hebrew roots movement. Here's another pro. What is the Hebrew roots movement? A response to common misconceptions. This book doesn't have a definition for the Hebrew roots movement. Not under the law, anti-Hebrew Roots Movement, no definition. And then again, we have the Hebrew Roots Movement, a critical analysis of its origins, origins teachings, and biblical interpretations. N again, no set definition. Apparently, and these th this 
Let me show you here real quick. Other than one, there are two other books that I left at home. I didn't bring them. This is about the net total of everything written on this issue. Everything I can find that addresses it specifically. Uh, this is a problem, folks, because um, none of these folks would are writing what I would consider a scholarly argument for or against. So we're going to, Charlie and I have endeavored that, okay, well, <laughs> wouldn't exactly call ourselves scholars, but, you know, we know the scriptures a little, and I know how to use logic. So let me show you how logic helped me so far in all of this. First things first, I don't have a definition for what the heck the Hebrew Roots Movement is. So we're going to have to define that. In general, the biggest, the I guess the reason everybody calls it the Hebrew Roots Movement is because the people that are in this direction, they come from all denominations. Largely, they come out of the Pentecostal movements, but they come from every denomination. Masonic believers will claim that they're not Hebrew roots. So they're just Jews that believe in the Messiah. Okay, got that. But reading the Masonic books, they sure seem to be under what the Christians call Hebrew roots. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know. So first things first, we're going to have to get a definition here. But what it comes down to, why is it Hebrew roots? Because one of the common traits of this movement is that everybody realizes if you want to understand the scriptures better, you got to read them as though you're an ancient Hebrew. Hence the word Hebrew roots. Your Christian faith grows out of roots of Hebrew thinking. Okay, cool. So what else do we have here? What's the church's problem with the Hebrew roots movement? You know, what's the big deal? Why isn't it just another denomination? Well, if you don't have a, de a definition for it and you don't have a set doctrine, no, it's not a denomination. W what the heck is the problem here? We're going to go to a bigger picture so you can read this next slide. But the next slide says the Hebrew roots, it's all just a bunch of Jewish fables. Hebrew roots is a heretical cult that takes believers away from Christ back into bondage. Followers are taught to keep the Torah, which brings them under the curse of the law. For nobody was ever saved by the law, for it requires perfect obedience. Much like the Pharisees, these modern Judaizers will be judged for their hypocrisy. Do not give heed to the Jewish fables. So this is an anti-Hebrew roots movement meme. There's a problem with it. It's thoroughly fallacious. What do you mean, Joe? In the next two weeks, I'll get very specific with this. Using scripture. I'll stay just in the scriptures. But the problem here is, is whoever made this meme doesn't understand what the Hebrew Roots Movement is seeing in their Bibles. They got no idea of it. And if they do, they've read it wrong. That's what I want to use logic for. What? How? how okay. Let's look at some of the church's specific accusations against the Hebrew Roots Movement. Henceforth, HRM, you know, Hebrew Roots Movement. And I'm trying not to paint a broad brush over any one individual or one denomination. So I'm going to say the church, meaning all Christians. I'm leaving the Jews out of this for the moment. Okay. Jews and Masonics, y'all get a pass today. Next week and the week after, not so much. <laughs> so y'all can get over there in the corner and you can, you can play Michigan and in, 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 uh, Washington right now. And you can laugh at everybody else that's fighting and all the infighting in and arguing. But next week, next week you got to play. So it'll be fun for you then. Today, you just get to sit and watch. So we're dealing with Christians, 
versus this Hebrew Moots movement thing, HRM. All right. We'll be using the following book primarily for today's purposes. This is Twistomatic. It's uh, Brent Atkinson wrote this. He has a total of 30-something objections. We're not going to use all of them, at least not today, because most of them, it looks like he was looking for a reason to make a book because he made up some just really weird things. Um, some of it, yes, I understand. I've, I've run into some of his objections before. The problem is a lot of his objections don't just apply to people he would call Hebrew roots movement. They apply to everybody that claims to be Christian. You will find people in the Christian, in Orthodox Christian beliefs, or at least within different churches that claim Paul is a heretic and didn't, didn't really, he, he created Christianity. You'll really find this in fundamentalists. And you'll find people who question the Trinity. The founding fathers, they were very Christian. They said so. But around the turn of the 19th century, you know, the 1800s, the early 1800s, they were questioning the nature of the Trinity. They thought maybe the Catholic Church had taught them a heresy. So a lot of the things that he accuses um, the Hebrew Roots movement of can be applied in a much broader brush. And he doesn't seem to address any of that. But for the purposes of today, this is the one of all the books I held up here for you, all these books. This is the one that makes it the uh, most clear for us to deal with. So I'm going to be working out of it today. And I chose some of his objections. So one of his objections, this is how this is going to work. I'm going to put the objection up on the top. And then I'm going to put the, uh, the, the statement. This is what the church claims the Hebrew Roots movement is teaching. And I'll just go ahead and blow this up. You don't need to see me. I'm not important. So on the top is the claim, and on the bottom is the church's objection. In the next slide, I'll give you the logical response. Okay, first claim here. The Hebrew Roots Movement claims all of God's commands are still in force today. The church's objection is the law has been done away with. It was nailed to the cross. They're not in place anymore. Well, I'm going to tell you right now that next week when we get to this question, this is fallacious to begin with. This is straw man. I, I, not having a definition for what Hebrew roots movement is, what we're going to do, what Charlie and I propose to do is argue from the way, the scriptural response. So if one side or the other has it wrong, we just propose to look at the scriptures and tell you what they actually say. As best we can understand them from a Hebrew perspective, as best we can understand it. So here's the scriptural, a.k.a. in this case today, logical response. Both Jesus and Paul said that the law still stands. So if the accusation is all of God's commands, you know, his law is still in force, and the church's objection is the law was done away with, it was nailed to the cross, then why are Jesus and Paul both telling you the law is still in place? There are passages where it says just that very clearly. And it says it doesn't go away. The law has not gone away. So somewhere, somehow, the two sides are missing something. Or the Hebrew roots has a point. Maybe it's not as clearly focused and dialed in as it needs to be. I'll give you that. But maybe the church has missed something that the Hebrew roots movement has found. I tend to think, me personally, my opinion, I tend to believe that we're leaning more toward the Hebrew Roots Movement has found something in their scriptures 
that the church has either misinterpreted, ignored, or misunderstood, or it decided to teach against? I don't know. We will address this next week. Next subject. The Hebrew Roots Movement, the accusation is the Hebrew Roots Movement claims the law will be written on our hearts. Okay. Well, Mr. Atkinson in his book, he says the church's objection is it's not the same law. You have a New Testament, therefore a new law. Okay, well, now that makes sense, right? Okay, I can, I can understand that. But the scriptural, aka logical response is easy. God, speaking through his prophet Jeremiah, said he will put his law in our hearts. And God, speaking through his prophet Micah, said he does not change. Therefore, God's law does not change. Well, the church would object saying, how do you know it's the same law? Scripture doesn't tell you it is. Oh, but yes, it does. Remember, we found this out last week. If you go back to Deuteronomy 32, Moses tells the Israelites that they will eventually all be kicked out of the land and eventually brought back in the law, the same law he had given them would be put back in their hearts and they would walk in its ways. That is the very first mention of the new covenant. It's just not called a new covenant. It's a restored covenant, the restoration of the covenant that Moses had handed them. And he's telling you it will be the same law in Deuteronomy 32. So from Deuteronomy 32 to Jeremiah, nothing changes. And from Jeremiah to Jesus, nothing changes. Therefore, somebody somewhere has misunderstood this passage about new covenant, new law. So maybe the Hebrew Roots Movement has a point here. Again, maybe not dialed in, but the scriptural, the words of the scripture, applying logic to it, what, what is actually said, let's not create a straw man, let's not make something up and shove it in the Hebrew Roots Movement's mouth, let's see what the scriptures actually say. It would seem that the church's objection has some problems. Now, what do we make of that? I don't know. We'll address that next week. Another complaint that Mr. Brett Atkinson has against the Hebrew Roots Movement, he's speaking for the church, and he does. Mr. Atkinson purports to speak for Christianity for the church. He says the Hebrew Roots Movement claims God's covenants are only for Israel. Well, again, there is a there's a straw man here, but we're not going to address that for today. He says that the church, the church's response, their objection is that God sent Paul to the Gentiles and the Gentiles are not Israelites. So the covenant is for the Gentiles. Okay, now this one seems to be response. Okay, that's logical. We know Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles and the Gentiles are being brought into the family. So, okay, I think this time the church might have a point, right? Not so fast. Looking at the scriptures, what's the scriptural response, and where does the logic take us? Well, scripture says that God made his original covenant with Abraham. Actually, he makes it with Adam first, but the first point where we see where he's promising to restore mankind into relationship with him, it starts with Abraham. And then Abraham, the covenant moves to Isaac. God establishes his covenant with Isaac. Then God establishes his covenant with Jacob. Jacob passes it to Ephraim. Where Well, it, I, I screwed that up. It doesn't remain there. F, I, I should have blotted that out. My apologies there. That You know I do these late at night. 
Jacob passes the covenant to Ephraim, the son of Joseph, the younger son. Ephraim is the leader of the house of Israel. Last I looked, the house of Israel is not Gentiles. Why is this important? Got to use a little logic here. The New Testament, New Covenant, you know, Jeremiah, the New Covenant. Well, the covenant is your promise. That's that's the promise of restoration into the kingdom, into your inheritance and your eternal life and all of that stuff. Well, it's connected to Ephraim and the leader of the house of Israel. Uh, that's not a covenant with Gentiles, is it? Let's go back and see the complaint. The complaint is that the Hebrew Roots Movement says God's covenants are with Israel. Well, we know that's not true. He makes covenants with Ishmael and Esau and others, and, you know, things like that that are not, that's not Israel. So the church might be right there. He says, well, the Gentiles are not Israel, and God was making covenants with them. But the scriptures clearly say that the inheritance goes through the Israelites. And that's why they're the light to the world. Okay, so we logic tells me somebody doesn't understand something here. Is it the Hebrew Roots Movement? Is it the church? Is it both of them? We need to take a closer look at this. Next week, we'll look at this one in detail as well. Folks, just so that you know, scriptures, this is the, this, that's the argument. In this case, this is a logic thing again. We're looking at this logically. We are looking at the Bible as an argument. Yes, a big one, but it's just, it's a logical argument. That's how we're looking at this. Well, it does explain all of this. It does. It explains all of this. These answers are actually fairly easy. Somebody's not asking the right questions. When you ask the right question, the argument has the answer, and it's pretty easy peasy. I'll show you next week and the week after. But this is where we're setting it up. Logic tells me somebody somewhere doesn't understand this issue very well. So logically, okay, this is one I got to look at. I got to dig into this one. Next, Mr. Atkinson says the Hebrew Roots Movement claims that Paul is difficult to understand. So if a Hebrew Roots Movement person says, well, you got to be careful with Paul, he's hard to understand. The church's objection is this. Paul is very easy to understand if you just take him at the plain meaning of his words. Seems logical, right? Except the scriptures, the scriptural response here, the logic response, the scriptures, this is exactly what Peter says. Peter tells you there are things that Paul teaches in his pastoral letters that are very difficult to understand. Not only that, Peter then goes on to say, men of poor understanding misunderstand Paul to their own destruction. This seems to me that this should be a warning to the church because in this case, the accusation is that the Hebrew Roots Movement says you don't understand Paul because he's hard to understand. Well, that's what Peter says, that Paul's hard to understand. So what claim is the Hebrew Roots making that's false scripturally? I don't see it. But now the church tells me Paul's very easy to understand if you just take him at the plain meaning of his words. To me, logically, that would seem to be a contradiction against what Peter's telling me. Peter says, be careful with Paul, because if you take him at, his, at the plain meaning of his words, if you don't have a solid understanding of, of scriptural tenet, you're probably going to get something wrong. And it might even lead you to your own destruction. This is a case where it clearly seems to be that the Hebrew Roots Movement, even if they don't have it correctly 100%, this is a case where logic seems to tell me they might be onto something. 
it's clearly, I mean, and next week I'll show you the passages. I was going to do that today. No, 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 no. Setting the table today. Let's just get the problem on the table and see what it is we're dealing with. And let's look at surface level. How does logic help me? Next week and the week after, we'll dig into it. Same issues that you see today, you're going to see them in detail next week and the week after. I might throw a few more in there, but this is the most of what you're going to see. And I'll chase them all down scripturally. But this one here, this one here seems to be, you know, if if, we, if this is a football game and we're going to keep score, this one seems to be a point in the Hebrew Roots movement side. So the next one, again, Brett Adkinson, speaking for all Christians. Maybe he shouldn't do that, but he claims to be. He accuses the Hebrew Roots movement. His claim is that the Hebrew Roots movement says we have to be grafted into Israel, that your salvation comes by being grafted into Israel. He claims that the church's objection is this is an understanding that is not supported by Scripture. There's no support for this anywhere in Scripture. That's his objection. So the Hebrew Roots Movement are making a claim that's not scripturally supportable. All right, so I'm going to go to Scripture. I'm going to apply my logic. Here's my response. Our inheritance is the birthright. Jesus says this. Okay, yeah, I got that. The birthright, birthright passed from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, who became Israel, and then on to Ephraim. Yes, okay, well, I see that. You must be grafted into Israel to inherit the birthright. Well, that's a concept thing, but the scripture doesn't support that. Well, then you have a problem. Paul explains all of this in the book of Romans that way and says you have to be grafted into the house of Israel. Well, he doesn't use the house. He says you have to be grafted into Israel. But Paul knows what he's talking about, so he doesn't say house of Israel. He assumes you know this. What do you mean Paul assumes I know this? Remember what Peter said? Paul can be hard. And the church objects. You just got to read Paul for the, the surface. Paul tells you, I'm only, you know, in several places and talking to people who know the law. And then he keeps on trucking. In other words, I assume you know these things and I'm not going to go over them in detail here. Let me get to the meat of this. I expect you to know the foundational pro concepts. Paul says that. So if you're a Christian who has not got the foundation that you should have in the law and you read Paul at surface level, Paul's already told you, you're going to mess this up, Jack. I'm talking to those who know the law. So if you don't know the law, Paul's telling you, I'm not talking to you. Why? Well, it's because it doesn't apply to me, Joe. No, no. Paul's saying, I'm not talking to you because you're not going to understand this. Paul can be tough. And Paul says that Gentiles, being wild olives, are grafted into Israel. Ooh, well, wait a minute. The complaint is that the Hebrew Roots Movement says you have to be grafted into Israel. The objection is there's no scriptural support for that. I read scripture where Paul says exactly that. Logical response here is at least Mr. Atkins is missing something. And the Hebrew Roots Movement, again, if the accusation is true, then the Hebrew Roots Movement would seem to be closer to what the scriptures are saying than Mr. Atkinson thinks they are. So again, if you're keeping football scores, so far, I'm sorry, I don't mean to say this, you know, ugly, but Mr. Atkinson's not doing very well. He's got a lot of catching up to do. Because even if the Hebrew Roots movement has it wrong, they seem to be running in the right direction so far. So far.
So Mr. Atkinson might have some other good things to bring up. So let's see. Here's another one of his points that he makes. He says, the Hebrew Roots Movement claims that there are two houses of Israel. Now, he scoffs at this. He laughs at this. The church's objection is there's only Israel and Gentiles. Well, let me tell you something. This one has the same scoffing, and this book scoffs at that idea, and this book scoffs at that idea, and this book scoffs at this idea, all claiming to be speaking for Christians. And I read one that does the same thing. Yep, and there was a totally different book. And uh, the reason I'm using Mr. Atkinson and I'm saying he claims to be speaking for all Christians, the reason I'm doing that is because he agrees with these four authors in almost every point. It's just that his book is the easiest to use in this case because he does a better job consolidating his objections. Okay, so the complaint is, there, the claim, the accusation is that there are two houses of, you know, the Hebrew Roots Movement says there are two houses of Israel. And the church's objection is that there's only Israel and Jews. Now, the scriptural response and logic applied, God, speaking through his prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel, says there are two houses of Israel, calls them my two houses, calls them my two witnesses. One is the domestic and one is the wild olive tree. Domestic being the house of Judah, the bride who is still married. Wild being the house of Israel that is no longer married to the Father, God. Guess what else? Jesus says the same thing. No, he doesn't, Joe. I've read all four Gospels. I know them by heart. He doesn't say that. I was sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I send the 70 or the 72, depending on how you read them, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. House twice. There's nowhere between Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Jesus's words where the meaning of that is changed. Nowhere. Therefore, applying logic, if you think that there are not two houses, your problem is not with the Hebrew Roots Movement. It's with God and he, Jesus. He also says he wasn't accepted in his own country, which was the house of Judah. Jews. Yes. So if you understand the concept, the Hebrew Roots Movement, yep, put another stroke on, you know, mark on their tally board. They do, in this case, they are clearly on to something that the church has missed. Clearly. And that is important. We'll cover this one in great detail in the coming two weeks. So this is a case where Mr. Adkinson has this one wrong. Logic already tells me that. That I can clearly, because it says, I have the passages. I'm just not reading them today. It says, houses, house of Israel, house of Judah, God speaking through his prophets speaks that way. That's his idea, not ours. Next one, Mr. Atkinson brings up. This is the Hebrew Roots Movement makes this claim that Christians are lawless. He says the objection is simple. Christians are not under the law. They're under grace. Therefore, this is a concept that doesn't apply to Christians. Okay. The scriptural and therefore logical response is this. Scripture says that the only the righteous will inherit the kingdom. That's Jesus says that. Scripture defines righteousness as lawfulness, obedience to the law. If you're not keeping and upholding the law, then 
by definition, Jesus's definition, you're lawless. Doesn't Jesus say all of you who claim to work for, you know, claim my name and work for me in my name, prophesying, healing, and doing all these things in my name. I'm going to tell you, be gone from me. I never knew you, you who practice iniquity, Joe. It says, no, that's a King James thing. Go look that up. It says lawlessness in the Greek. Iniquity can mean lawlessness in old English, but we don't understand that word anymore. Jesus says, be gone from me, you who practice lawlessness. Well, those are not saved people. Let me ask you something. Does Satan's people run around working in the name of the Messiah? No. Those are self-proclaimed Christians that work in the name of the Messiah. And he just called them lawless. Apply a little logic to this. The complaint is that the Hebrew Roots Movement says Christians can be lawless. He says, we're under grace. That doesn't apply to us, Mr. Atkinson does. And yet Jesus calls them lawless. Who do I go with? Mr. Atkinson in the church or Jesus? If ye love me, you will keep my commandments. Or he also says, keep the Father's commandments. True. So again, if I apply a little logic here, it would surely seem that the Hebrew Roots movement is closer to the scriptures than the visible church. Y'all been keeping score so far? This isn't looking good for somebody. What quarter of this game are we in? Well, by my slideshow, we're close to halftime. Mr. Atkinson might have a field goal on the board. This ain't good. Well, we're going to keep going. And I don't mean to be facetious here. This is not that. This is logic. Okay? If you're going to make an argument, let me go back here for a minute. If you're going to make an argument to believers, you better apply a little logic to it because this, the, the, the scriptures, the rule book over here sitting on the shelf, says that if you teach people wrong, their blood is on your head. It also says that the teachers will be held doubly accountable. So before we teach this, don't you think maybe we ought to apply it? Okay. Logic, just logic. The next accusation against the Hebrew Roots Movement, the claim is that the Hebrew Roots Movement says the law is the same for the Jew and the Christian alike. He says the church's objection is simple. The New Testament differentiates between Jews and Gentiles. You know, Acts 15 clearly makes that, you know, makes that point very clear, right? Okay. Let's just look at the scripture and apply a little logic. Scripture says that the law applies equally to the native-born Israelite and foreigner alike. The same law that, Deuter that Deuteronomy 32 says will be restored when everybody comes back. That's it. The restoration in Deuteronomy is during the New Covenant times. It's the same law that Jeremiah says is going to be in our heart, that Ezekiel says is going to be in our heart, and it's the same law the prophets say will be practiced during the New Covenant, you know, the latter days, and in the restored eternal kingdom. So the complaint is that Hebrew Roots Movement say it's one law for all, Jew and Gentile. Churches say, no, 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 the, church, the, the, the apostles differentiated. Scriptures seem to say that, no, it's one law for all. So maybe, maybe we've got a misunderstanding of what's going on in the book of Acts in chapter 15. 
or we have a contradiction in Scripture. If there's a contradiction in Scripture, Scripture says that means that Scripture's been broken, in which case it's not Scripture. So taking it all, swallowing the Scripture whole, applying a little logic to this, there's a problem in this accusation. Somebody doesn't understand something properly. This is not a Hebrew Roots movement. Maybe the Hebrew Roots movement, the complaint is not accurate. Maybe we need to look a little closer. Or maybe the Christian objection has a misunderstanding. Because the scripture is very clear. One law for all. Hmm. I don't know where you put the point on that one. Maybe that's a punt. Okay. And for those of you who don't like my football analogies, I apologize. Fill in whatever you want. Mr. Atkinson then goes on to this one. He says, the Hebrew Roots movement is heretical because it claims Torah is eternal. He says, the church objects because the New Testament says the law has been done away with. It's been replaced by grace. All right. I do know. I've read. Okay, we got to comment on the board real quick. JMW78 says, sounds like progressive wordplay. We have some rules, but not laws. Yeah, but be careful with using progressive in this case. Let's try to keep man's politics out of this. But JMW, yeah, you're on the right track. What we have here, I'm going to be gracious here. I'm going to add grace. I'm going to extend grace to Mr. Atkinson and, and all the other authors claiming to be writing the same thing. I'm going to extend grace to them and say that possibly you don't understand the scriptures properly. That, that way it, it, they can have a sincere heart and just need correction. Whereas if this is intentional wordplay, well, then they're a wolf. The problem with that is in some of Mr. Atkinson's objections, he does make intentional word. Well, wait a minute. Excuse me. My bad. Not Mr. Atkinson. Sorry. Mr. Atkinson. <laughs> yes. Same Mr. Atkinson. Where he says not under the law. He's written three books on this issue. He's so adamant about it. Um, and he intentionally plays word games on purpose. And we'll get to them in a minute. If you're going to do that, you're a false teacher, scripturally. But I want to extend grace to these folks. I don't want to accuse them of that because scripture tells me not to do that. Not unless I know for sure. So Mr. Atkinson says that the Hebrew Roots movement commits a heresy when they say Torah is eternal. And he says, nope, law's been done away with. We're now under grace. So I'm going to go to the argument, to the scriptures, to the greater argument. I'm going to see what it says. I'm going to apply logic here. This is going to be my response. The scriptures tell us Torah will remain during the time of the new covenant and that people will seek to learn it during the latter days, during the new covenant times. The scriptures also tell us that the Torah will remain through the eternal kingdom. Therefore, using logic, if Torah was before, during, and after the new covenant, Torah is eternal, especially since it remains in the eternal kingdom. If the Torah remains in an eternal kingdom, Torah is eternal. That's direct. I mean, that's just deductive reasoning. Put another mark on the Hebrew Roots Movement's side of the chalkboard. They're closer to the truth here than the than the Mr. Atkinson is and his buddies. So we'll look at this one in depth later, too. This is not going well for Mr. Atkinson. His next objection is the Hebrew Roots Movement claims that Jesus is Torah. 
The church's objection is Jesus came to fulfill the Torah and release us from it. Hmm. If I read the New Testament, there certainly seems to be words that say this. So he's denying that Jesus is the Torah and that Jesus came to fulfill Torah and to release it from us. You know, you'll release us from the from the law, from the curse of the law. I go to the scriptures and I get to go no farther than John 1, 1, where John tells us that Jesus is Torah made flesh. He does say that very clearly. And then later, Jesus confirms this. He says, I am the way, which is defined as Torah in the Old Testament. I am the truth, which is defined as Torah. And I am the life, which is defined as Torah. He also said, Moses wrote about me. Well, everybody goes, yeah, he wrote about the Messiah. Moses wrote about the law too, didn't he? Uh, yes. So we might want to study this one a little closer. We're not going to award points on this point. So nobody scored, a, you know, another punt here on our game. But it certainly seems to be that the Hebrew Roots Movement reading of the scriptures might have tilted the, the field. So maybe this punt landed on Mr. Atkinson's one-yard line. So he's got a long way to go to make up on this one. But no points. So Mr. Atkinson keeps going. He says, you know, because he's a good football player, he's going to keep on trucking. He's down. He's going he's gonna to keep playing to the last buzzer. He says, the Hebrew Roots Movement claims if you keep Torah, you'll be great, great in the kingdom. He says the church's objection is simple. Christians share in Christ's inheritance. Hence, they have no need of Torah. Christ makes them great. Okay. Well, I would see. Okay, that, that sounds rational. Except when I read the scripture, literally, you know, the, the scriptural response, literally, Jesus says that those who keep and teach Torah will be called great in the kingdom. And then he turns around and says those who do not will be called least. Now, he doesn't say you won't get in, but he says you'll be called least. Hmm. Let's go back to the complaint. The complaint is that the Hebrew Roots Movement says you'll be great if you keep Torah. And the church's objection, according to Mr. Atkinson, is um, Christ's inheritance makes us great. His blood, you know, his, his, he makes us great. His righteousness. So we don't have to do this. But Jesus does say those who keep the law and teach others to keep the law will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And those who do not, who teach people to break it or do away with it or nullify it, will be called least. That is definite. Well, well, Hebrew Roots Movement just scored another one. I don't know if it was a field goal or a touchdown, but they accurately upheld the word as it is written. Okay. All right, let's just keep going. That one didn't. Mr. Atkinson, he says, the Hebrew Roots Movement claims you need Torah to become sanctified. Ah, now we he, he goes, Jesus sanctified us with his blood. That one we know, Mr. Atkinson has correct, right? Okay, he's he, We're pretty sure he's going to score a touchdown on this one. The scripture, the scripture's response, it is through obeying Torah that we are sanctified. What? Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's all about why we obey that makes the difference. Oh, let me sort this one out. I don't, I'll go over this in depth in the next two weeks, but I don't want to leave this one hanging with you. Are you teaching works, Joe? Nope. But no, what does Paul tell you? You don't know what sin is without the law. We're told not to sin. 
Jesus says, repent, don't sin, do, quit, sin no more. He tells people that all the time in the, in, the, in the Gospels. Sin no more. Don't sin. Stop your sinning. Stop walking against Torah, his father's teachings, his teachings. Start hitting the mark. Obey. Paul tells us that sanctification is becoming more and more like the Messiah every day. We crucify ourselves so that what that means is you you do away with your will and pick up the Messiah's will. Do the Messiah's will. Yeah, Joe, that's that's what, yes, exactly. But how do you do that without knowing the law? Paul says the law teaches you the way. Well, all I got to do is imitate what Jesus did. Jesus kept the law. No, he fulfilled it. No, he kept it. He guarded it. He lived it. Uh, yeah. So at the very least, this is another one that requires a lot of closer examination. But if you track the concept, it would seem that maybe the Hebrew Roots Movement scarred themselves a field goal here. Because without the law, you have no idea how you're supposed to act. Well, the Holy Spirit will tell me, Joe. Right. Yes, it will. And Paul says, test everything against the Holy Spirit. No, no, he doesn't. No, no, he doesn't. Joe, he says, test it against this, uh, the scriptures, the law, the Torah. Oh, yes. See, Mr. Adkinson has a misunderstanding here. Why? I don't know. But he's got something he does not understand correctly, and we will use logic to dig into that in deeper, very deep, you know, extent in the near future here, because this is important, at least to me. Next one. We give the ball back to Team Atkinson, and he says the Hebrew Roots Movement claims that Torah is not the law of Moses. There is a straw man argument going on here. In all of these books, every one of these books that I showed you, that's what they claim. In the book Charlie read, they all claim that Torah is the law of Moses. The church's objection is, yes, yes, it is. It's all the law of Moses. Hebrew Roots Movement says it's not. The church says, yes, it is. That's a he said, she said. So I go to the scripture. Jesus says it is not just the law of Moses. What? I'm going to throw a flag on the field. All right. What's the flag? There are some Hebrew roots movements that do believe that the Torah is the law of Moses. Okay. We're going to go to instant replay. This is a good one, folks. We're, we're going to go to instant replay. Let's throw okay, Charlie let's, in here. Let's since, look at it. Okay. Yep, look, we're going to go to instant replay, and we got to throw Charlie in here. We're, we're looking at the play again. we got to go back to the yep, claim. Let's go back to the... He says the whole Hebrew roots movement claims that Torah is not the law of Moses. He does not say some. So what has he done? Hmm. He's committed a fallacy in his, yes. in his accusations. Yes. After setting up his book saying there is no clear definition of what the Hebrew Roots Movement believes hmm. and that there's no clear doctrine. And he does say that in his book. Yeah. So after rightly saying there is no clear definition and there is no clear doctrine, he then goes ahead and says that all of them say that Torah is the law of Moses. So when you threw the flag, because some people say it, that's not the... That's not the claim. The claim was that all the Hebrew Roots movement does this. So at the very least, you need to pick your flag back up, and we need to say that there was not enough clear evidence on the play, on the replay, to make a call. Okay, there we go. 
Do we concur? <laughs> Charlie's not the referee. He just threw a flag. He threw the red flag. He objected, Natasha. He challenged the call. But now Jesus does say that Torah is more than just the law of Moses. We will cover this next week, but let me just give you a hint. When he says, is it not written in your law that ye are gods? He's quoting Psalm 82. Psalms is not the law of Moses. That's not in the Pentateuch. That's in the Psalms. That's being called Torah by Jesus, the living word, the living God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with you. Uh, so if you're going to object to somebody telling you that Torah is not necessarily the law of Moses, you're objecting with Jesus. And we will revisit this problem here in a few minutes because Mr. Atkinson intentionally plays with this in a later point. And that's where, that's where we need to be very wary of him. So his next he says the Hebrew Roots Movement claims we must keep the Sabbath. He says the church's objection is the Sabbath only applies to Israel, that the church worships on Sunday, the Lord's Day. Ooh, buddy, this one's important. I go to the scriptures. I bring out my old logic book, and I say, what's the scriptural response? God says the Sabbaths are his Sabbaths, not Israel's. His. And he says they are an ordinance for all time. Okay, Mr. Atkinson should just read things on their clear language. What does all mean? All time means all time. So as long as time exists, Sabbath is Yahweh's and stays in place. But even if they are only for Israel, let's grant this to, to Mr. Atkinson, even if it only applies to Israel. Scripture still says you have to be grafted into Israel. Therefore, logic tells me either way we want to go, we're still supposed to keep the Sabbath. I think that's a touchdown on the Hebrew roots movement side, especially since, and we will cover this in detail in the next two weeks, but the Sabbath still stands both in the new covenant period, the latter days, and in the eternal kingdom. Prophets say so. So either they're not prophets, in which case you can't trust their promises, which include your inheritance and all the signs of the Jesus is Messiah and the new covenant, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Or they are prophets. They know what they're talking about. They belong to Yahweh, in which case the Sabbath is still around, even in the millennial reign and in your eternity. Once again, logic tells me three different ways the Hebrew roots movement can spike the football on this one. So that's a touchdown. Then Mr. Atkinson says the Hebrew roots movement claims that we must keep Passover. And the church's objection is that Passover was an Old Testament thing for the Jews. Okay, I think he's right. This time I think he's got himself a touchdown, except for one problem. I go to the scripture and Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. The this was the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper was a Passover, not my opinion. Jesus's words, therefore, we're commanded to keep the Passover as a remembrance. Oh, criminy. That wasn't a touchdown for Mr. Atkinson. That was a pick six. HRM movement just spiked the football again in the end zone. 
this time they got a defensive touchdown because, yeah, this is Jesus telling us to keep the Passover. And the Christian church does this whenever they feel like it. They do the Lord's Supper whenever they want. No, 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 no. He said, keep the Passover in remembrance of me. Prior to that, you looked forward to him. After that, you looked backward. You were you were looking backward on the Exodus and forward to the Messiah. You may not have recognized that, but we'll go over this in great. We did a show on this, didn't we, Charlie? Yeah, that was one heck of a show. And it's all right there in the scripture, isn't it, Charlie? Yeah, I couldn't argue with it. I I, I thought I was going to come guns blazing and shut you down, and I didn't even get a shot off. All you had to do was put the different passages in the chronological order that the passages give us, didn't you? Yep. They even tell us how to time it. Yeah. This is why when the police interview witnesses to a crime or to an accident or something, they they interview all the witnesses and then they go home and they put them all together and they realize that that witness had this piece and that witness had. And when you do that with all four gospels, this was a Passover supper and Jesus said so. So, okay. Pick six. So we're going to give the ball back to Mr. Atkinson one more time. Says the Hebrew roots movement claims that we must keep the dietary laws. His objection is that Jesus declared all foods clean. Now we know he gets the touchdown on this one. Because I mean, Peter and Jesus said, you know, yeah, we got that. Except when I go to the scriptures, Jesus declared the Gentiles clean in Peter's vision, not foods. In the other passage where he's talking about it's not the thing that goes in your mouth that makes you unclean, but your heart. He's talking about everything but food. He's talking about unwashed hands. He's talking about the Pharisees' oral law, which is Judaism. That's not the way. That's not Torah. Uh, And then when we go to Peter, Peter tells Jesus, I've never eaten anything unclean. This is years after he lived with Jesus and years after the ascension. He's still eating clean. And nothing in the vision changed that. And Peter says the vision was about the Gentiles, not food. Therefore, we should still be eating clean. I think that's another pick six, Mr. Atkinson. Peter's words, not mine. So Mr. Atkinson gets the ball back again, and he says the Hebrew Roots Movement claims that it's a renewed covenant, not a new one. Now, this time he does get a touchdown, right? He says the church's objection is it is a new covenant. It's a New Testament. The title of the New Testament says so. Jesus said new covenant. says this is the my blood of the new covenant. Jeremiah says new covenant. New Testament. Problem is a testament and a covenant are two different things. So we might have an equivocation problem here we will have to look at in the future. But if I go to the scriptures, Jeremiah promised a covenant, not a testament. That's important. And covenants cannot be replaced. What? 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 Yeah, yeah. He promised a covenant, a new covenant, but a covenant cannot be replaced. The old one can't go away. They have to be renewed. So the new covenant is directly traced through the old to the covenant of Abraham. The covenant Jesus established goes all the way back to the one with Abraham. What? Yes. You have a covenant with Abraham. Then it's expanded upon with Moses. And then it's renewed, just like Moses said it would be, with Jesus. 
Therefore, if you put all these pieces of the passages of the scripture together, the new covenant is better understood as renewed covenant. So I don't think that the Hebrew Roots Movement scored a touchdown here, but it's definitely not a point in Mr. Atkinson's favor either. This one here seems to have been a punt. Hmm. Okay. Successfully defended, Mr. Atkinson. Very well played. Maybe. We got to look at that. And then he will say that the Hebrew Roots Movement claims that the new covenant is not new. The church's objection is Jesus said it's a new covenant, so it's a new covenant. Jesus said it, that ends it. Seems to be a touchdown for Mr. Atkinson. But when you go to the scriptures, if it is a renewed covenant, and I believe it is because I've studied the covenants, I understand what's going on, and we will cover this in the next two weeks, then it isn't new. But if it was new, we would lose our salvation. <gasps> what? No, no, no. Jesus is salvation. No, 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 no. If it's new, if it's totally new, you've lost your salvation because you don't know that he's the Messiah. You can't be sure of that. And because his promise is delivering on a promise that was made under the old covenant, not the new. The promise of salvation was made to Abraham and again by Moses through the continued passing down of the original covenant with Adam, the original promises made to Adam. Therefore, the covenant's not new. The way you recognize it, the way you practice it, the way you live it is. But the basic terms aren't. So again, another punt that we'll have to look at in more detail. This will be the last one before we go to the break. We'll finish up when we come back from the break. Mr. Atkinson says that the Hebrew Roots Movement claims that Jesus did not give a new commandment. This time we know it's a spike for Mr. Atkinson because his objection is Jesus said he gave us a new commandment, a new commandment I give you. So it's a new commandment. The scriptural response is Jesus was quoting Leviticus. Literally. Therefore, it's not really a new commandment. Maybe Mr. Atkinson misunderstood something. I think that might be a field goal for the Hebrew Roots Movement because he was quoting um, I think it's in Leviticus, Leviticus or Deuteronomy. But it's the same exact word for word. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Arcticordus says, hey, that's what we don't make. That's why we don't make sacrifices. Different type. You are supposed to still make sacrifices today. Paul tells you to. So does Jesus. Did you know that? Yeah, we don't make animal sacrifices. See how we're starting to quibble? <laughs> That's a flag on the field for quibbling. <laughs> All right, we're going to let you have a six-minute break. When we come back, I'm going to wrap up a few more of the, the objections that Mr. Atkinson lists for the, for the church. And then I'm going to go over the logical problem that we, the, the whole thing, I'm going to summarize and go over the logical problem that we have. And I'll, I'll show you what Charlie and I have bitten off for ourselves to chew. But I think it's doable. And we'll go from there and see where we end up. Hey, make sure you're still back in your seats when we get back. It's not a pew. We're actually applying logic here, folks. Next week, I'll show you the actual fallacies in play and how they're fallacies. And I'll show you what the argument actually says and how to logically evaluate it. We're using logic and reason with the scriptures. 
And I wish a lot more believers would do this because we'd have less division within the body. See you in six.
couple of quick points. Our AI is giving Long Train a, uh, a run for his money. That, that would be Gunny Hathcock, one of the Marine Corps' most famous snipers from Vietnam. She spotted a Dota cop on Facebook and sniped him from long range before he finished popping his head up. Couldn't even get his gun to bear. Our AI is good at this, folks. Second, the donuts are gone. Why are the donuts gone? It's like the rum being gone. This is not good, folks. Okay, end of the humor. We have a couple of comments on the board I want to bring up real quick. One of my better students here. JMW says, plus... If it was a if it was a totally new covenant, we wouldn't be grafted into a we would be getting grafted into a discontinued covenant, and his covenants are not done away with, et cetera, et cetera. But what he's saying is, if it's a totally new covenant, you're grafted into something that. So if the Messiah makes the promise of eternal life, he's not the Father. He doesn't have that authority. Whoopsie. Remember, he says, "I do only the Father's will." Ah. There's that mystery of that Trinitarian thinking, isn't that? So that would be fun. <laughs> does the AI still have all her hair? <laughs> yes, she does. <laughs> it's not the AI that's getting her hair cut. It's Charlie's wife. <laughs> Gummy bear. All right, let's get ourselves back to class here. Scriptural law, Jesus was quoting Leviticus. Okay, we've already talked about that one. I want to start today, this hour, the second hour, with a little bit of a review. So what we've been going over is, is a few of Mr. Atkins. Uh, he's got like 30-something objections. I picked the better ones. And he, let's, let's review this real quick. The church believes that the Hebrew Roots Movement is a heretical cult. First things first, it doesn't meet the definition of a cult. Well, how do I know this? Well, in his book, Mr. Atkinson's admits there's no leadership. There's no central leadership in the Hebrew Roots Movement. To have a cult, you have to have a single charismatic leader. So he just told me that it doesn't meet the definition of a cult, although he will call it a cult. And then he tells you, well, you know, uh, he tries to get around that by saying, okay, it's cult-like, because he realizes that it doesn't meet the definition. Okay, so, okay, cult-like. Well, you know, technically, folks, Christianity's cult-like if you want to look at it that way, because you formed your whole religion around the Messiah, Jesus. And the only way you get away from that is to make your religion about more than just Jesus, because your religion is supposed to be about the Father as well. Well, that would make it a, you know, he's not a person. So that doesn't meet the definition of a cult. But if all you're going to do is focus on the man, Jesus, and not give him full deity of being God, you see where I'm going with this? You got to be careful with these type of accusations. Whoops, that's not what I wanted to do. Yeah, you got a couple of questions there from Tortoise, too, about okay. that. If you want to throw them up those. real quick, where okay, are we at? There's, there's several of them here. Throw them up. This is now the Messiah is also the highest one, right? He he is the, uh, the high priest. Yes, he is our high priest, and he's the highest man, the highest Adam. Um, Yes, and then it also a question from the tortoise says, so what he says is what the most high says. According to Yeshua, he only he only teaches what he heard from the Father directly, and he only does what the Father wants him to do. He says that specifically in the in the gospels. The Trinity, whole <laughs> yeah. different class, Jack. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. that's that we're gonna punt that. That's a different game. <laughs> that's a whole that's a different playoff game right yeah, there yeah. jack yeah, that, that's, a, that's a whole game <laughs> that rabbit hole has spiders in it <laughs> big ugly spiders yeah 
but we will tackle that on a worship Wednesday in, in the near, fairly near future. Uh, Charlie and I are still, well, primarily me, but we're working on that and Charlie's helping me with that as well. So the church believes that the Hebrew roots movement is a heretical cult. The church has a list of ac accusations to support its claim. And we've gone over a, the bulk of the, the, the ones that in, in all of these books, the, the accusations I picked out, they show up in every one of these books. So that's one of the reasons I used them. So the majority of these accusations can be logically answered from a Hebrew reading of the scriptures. What? Okay. We'll come back to that in just a minute. The logical problem is this. Either their church is correct, the Hebrew roots movement is correct, or both are wrong. How can we determine which is which? That's where we're going to have to use logic, using scriptures. The scripture is the argument that we're we're examining. That's you know I'm we're, this is a logic class today, okay? Well, hold on just a second. Here's my thesis. This is a logical argument, and it is, it is. You th this is a logical argument. Mr. Atkins has made a logical argument against this you know the Hebrew roots movement. Hebrew Roots Movement says, I have to understand this argument this way from a Hebrew perspective. Mr. Atkinson comes up and says, no, I don't have to understand the Bible that way. The Hebrew Roots Movement's wrong. So these are all arguments. All three books are arguments, literally. That, that, that's how this works in logic. So I want to examine both of these arguments held up against this one, the Bible. So I'm going to look at the Hebrew Roots Argument. I'm going to look at the church's argument against the Bible. How do I do all of this? Which one's correct? That's the whole point. That's what Charlie and I are going to tackle, or we propose to try. So how do we determine which is which? Logic is the only tool you have. So the logical solutions are these. The New Testament tells us to seek our understandings in the scriptures. All your answers are in the scriptures. Paul says so. Okay. Yeshua tells you. Everybody always tells you what's written. What, where, go to the scriptures. The two, New Testament was not written at the time that we're told to do this. Mm, therefore, the New Testament tells us to seek our understanding in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, right? That's, that's a logical, that's logical extension right there, folks. That's A to B to C. And therefore, we should look first to the Tanakh, then to the New Testament to help us explain the Tanakh which is exactly what the New Testament claims to be doing, explaining what was already given to us in the Old Testament. Okay, that's logical. That's actually logic, folks. That's good, sound exegesis. Well, that the logical solution continues. We need to recognize that Scripture was written by obedient Hebrews, not Jews. You want proof of this? Okay, yeah, Joe, give me some proof. Was Paul a Jew? Well, yeah, no. He was of the house of Judah. What? There are no two houses. He's just a Jew. No. Paul tells you he's a Benjamite. They're not Jews. Well, who are the Jews then? The people who are born of the, the tribe of Judah. Well, no, Joe, the Jews are the, you know, like Israel. They're all, no, see, there's the problem. We don't, <laughs> we have a great deal 
of Old Testament illiteracy. We don't understand the concepts that we're talking about. We throw the words around. We don't really understand what they mean. So we've got to go back and we've got to read that book as a obedient, Torah-obedient Hebrew, because it was written mostly in Hebrew, mostly to Hebrews. Even the New Testament's written mostly to Hebrews. Some to the Gentiles, yes, but mostly to Hebrews. The book of Romans was written to Hebrews. It was written to, to the, the Jewish people living in Rome. They're Hebrew. Jews are Hebrews. Not all Hebrews are Jews. The book of Hebrews was written to, who's it addressed to? Hebrews. The Gospels were written to Hebrews. Peter's writing to Hebrews. James writes to Hebrews. Therefore, we should try to understand it from this perspective. That's logical. That's just all by definition how you do sound exegesis. The logical conclusions, the logical solutions here can continue. Language and culture, as well as our worldview, can affect the way we understand things. If we read the scriptures with a Greek mindset, we run the risk of misunderstanding the scriptures. Many of the church's objections to the Hebrew Roots movement are from a Greek understanding of the scriptures. Therefore, it is likely that the church has misunderstood the scriptures. That's because the church comes from a Greek Western mindset. The logical solutions, at the same time, the church does make some valid points against the Hebrew Roots movement. The Hebrew Roots Movement suffers from many weaknesses. One of them is it reads the Bible from the Jewish, Orthodox Judaism's perspective. That's the Pharisees, folks. That's not the way. That's not Torah. The Pharisees are to the Torah as the Christian church is to the Torah. It's just that the Pharisees went to the left side of the path, and the Christians are on the right. Legalism versus licentiousness. The way is in the middle. So the Hebrew Roots Movement has gone too far in the other direction, and the church is correct about this. Absolutely. Therefore, that means it is likely that the Hebrew Roots Movement is equally in error. Remember what I said earlier. One's right, the other's right, they're both wrong. Guess what we've found? It's very likely that they're both wrong. Well, how do we determine which way or the other? Well, the conclusions here are, both sides appear to be an error. Both sides have some valid points. Therefore, both sides should work together to seek the truth of what Scripture teaches, which is exactly what Scripture teaches us to do. Iron sharpens iron. Steel sharpens steel. You know, however you want to put it. We're supposed to unite, not divide. We're supposed to stop squibbling and arguing over this word or that word if it's going to divide the body. We're not supposed to divide the body. We're supposed to uphold the teachings, which gets us to one of the things that he he got into that I skipped today, but we won't skip in the future. Mr. Atkins says that um, the Hebrew Roots Movement, they, they definitely get it wrong. Well, it's in his other book, though. It's not this one. It's in his other book. But he says one of the things they get wrong is... Uh, they don't understand that this word for the new covenant can mean teachings. And he goes through several other places in the Bible where, you know, the word is used and he says, it's the same word here and it all just means teachings. It doesn't mean law. The problem with that is 
and Charlie, pop your mic on. I want you to explain this to everybody for me here in just a minute. I checked. I went to every one of the passages, and I will show you in the next two weeks where he does this. But the word he says means teachings is Torah. So now if he comes along and he tells everybody it means teachings, and then he uses that to mean to argue that it doesn't mean law, what has he just committed, Charlie? Uh, I would say that's equivocation. It is an equivocation, but it's intentional this time. But, well, yes. Which means he is intentionally trying to fool you because the Hebrew Roots Movement has been trying to make the point that that's the whole point. You read law, Torah means teachings. So he just conceded the Hebrew Roots Movement's point in the process of objecting to it. That is fallacious at an ex extreme, and it means you are a dis honest agent he did that on purpose yeah. that makes him a wolf or at least in that case false teacher and we've got to be careful with these things logic will help guard us logic is a tool it's neutral it, it, it depends on how well the user of the tool uses it how well you know it and how well you apply it like I've, I've told this story one time. I love to tell this story. My father is a fourth generation carpenter and dig God nab. Does that man know how to build a house? He did when he was younger, he was too old to do it. Now I wrestled with, I was, we were building a, a room together. He and I 24 foot by 24 foot square, just a simple room with a couple of partitions in the middle. I was wrestling with putting the two, we were framing in the walls and I couldn't get this one wall to square up. And I had a square, I had a level had my hammer, eight measure. I was, I was doing everything he had taught me how to do. I'd even laid out the three, four, five isosceles triangle. I couldn't get that stupid wall to square for nothing. I wrestled with it for almost a half hour. He finally got disgusted with me. He came up, literally nudged me out of the way with his shoulder. My father's smaller than I am. Shoves me out of the way. Looked over his right shoulder at me with disgust in his face while he was putting a 16-penny nail up on the, on the wall. Turned around, drove it home with one swing of the hammer, all the way in. If you've never framed before, you're swinging that hammer when you do that. And then he walked off. And I kind of looked at him for a second. I put the square up in the corner, and the dang thing had come together square. Okay, what's the point, Joe? I had every tool in the world, and I couldn't do I knew what I had to do. I had everything I needed to do it. I didn't. I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't get it to do it. He had a hammer and a nail. He didn't measure jack. He just come up, eyeballed it. Whoosh, one swing of a hammer, everything's done. He knew his tools backward and forward. He knew the job backward and forward. He applied it properly, job done, he moved on. We've got to learn our scriptures that way, even if all you ever learn is the most basics. Remember, he had a hammer and a nail. I had a hammer, a nail, a tape measure, string. I had a square. I had it. I had more tools than him. And I even, had, you know, level, I still couldn't get the thing to line up. He did it with one swing of a hammer. So if you know the basics very well, you don't need all the extra tools from your scripture study or your logic study. As long as you know how to apply them. That's what he had. He had wisdom. He knew how to apply it, how to use it. That's the point. We've got to do the same thing with our scriptures. So for me, this is a, this is a subject that I'm going to be wrestling with for a while. We've got two weeks before we're going to take our break for Christmas, and then we won't be back until 2024. The next two Fridays in a row, I'm going to address some of this stuff in a great more detail. And we'll go everything we've just went through today. I think there's one or two more I'm going to throw into the hopper. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to just 
I'll go back and we'll restate the objection to the Hebrew Roots Movement. And I will give Mr. Atkinson and tempered with Mr. Uh, Ruben Gomez. He's a Catholic in, in Spain. And Mr. Ronald Dart and Pam Dewey. No relation, I hope. Um, this is actually a fairly good book. And we'll we'll look at some of their objections and we'll put their words into there. And uh, John L. Brown with his objections as well. But we'll we'll put the actual Christian objection into it in a little better wording. And we'll go over where that point might actually have, where, where they might have a point, where it might be right. And then we will cover the response, where the Hebrew Roots Movement might have that response wrong. Actually, the Hebrew Roots Movement's response and where it might be right or wrong. Then we'll go right to the scriptures, apply a little logic, and we'll look for fallacies. Because every one of the things I read to you today, the problem is that they're all fallacious on both sides. And we'll apply the logic to it, look for the fallacies, try to sort them out using the scriptures, and see if we can't come to conclusions with some of this stuff. E even when the Hebrew Roots Movement is correct, they get there to the wrong way. Every time I've re read into this, any Hebrew Roots Movement person I've ever found, they get the right answer in a lot of cases, but they get it fallaciously, which is one of the problems that they're having here with, with the visible church, is the church is only looking at their bad logic, not the answer. Well, we're going to try and resolve that. I'm going to make enemies on both sides of this issue. I don't give a rip. This is the one I'm guarding. I'm upholding. And that's what that's the whole point. If you don't understand this from a Hebrew mindset, you don't know what I mean by uphold the law. Charlie, what do I mean by uphold and guard the law? He knows. He studies this. He, it, I'm using the English words for a Hebrew word. Yeah, for a Hebrew I mean, concept. I mean, it's, it's walking on the path. Living it, right? Yeah, walking it out. Which is also called, in our world, we call that obedience. Obedience, yes. Yeah. And that's also the Hebrew way of thinking about it, because that's the way it's talked about in the Old Testament, is walking, walking it out, walking on the path. Yep. Tortoise says, should it not all start with definitions of the Hebrew roots movement? to build a stable foundation to build from. Yeah, it should. It, you're right, Tortoise. But now here's the problem. Hebrew Roots Movement is not self-named. That's just a, a label that's been applied to them because they keep pointing to the Hebrew origins of the faith. They keep saying, hey, you know, you've got to understand the Hebrew origins of the faith. One of the complaints that I left out today, the, the, the church says, look, man, the Hebrew Roots Movement thinks that the, the Hebrew language is magical and that you can only understand the, the Bible using Hebrew. Well, that's fallacious. That's not true. The, that's, a, that's a legitimate complaint. The church is correct here. There are members of the Hebrew Roots Movement that think you can only understand the Bible in Hebrew. That's not true. But there are certain things in the Hebrew Bible you're only going to understand fully when you understand the Hebrew thinking, you don't have to understand the language, but you're going to have to study with somebody who does and who has dug into it and who has understood it so that they can more properly translate it. Now, if I am thoroughly church going Greek mindset, you know, Western world, Greek mindset thinking, and I translate the Bible with my best, most sincere effort, I can still get that wrong if I don't understand the Hebrew thinking underlying it. Because, like, faith, man. 
Faith is just belief in things unseen. That's a Greek mindset. Hebrew mindset is faith is knowing that the promises are true and are going to happen even before they do and walking in obedient trust. Those are two very different concepts. So I can have sincere belief, translate those words faith, and I translated them. You'll get there. You'll probably have enough to get you into the kingdom, but you don't have a complete understanding of it. You don't have to go learn Hebrew to get there. You just got to study and dig with people who do. It's one of the reasons that Charlie is a blessing in what I'm doing. I now understand why he's standing there. That's all God Yahweh's doing. He's an asset to me that I, I wouldn't have time to read Hebrew, learn Hebrew. Hebrew is very important that you understand, you know, what a noun is, a verb, transitive verb, no, no, not intransitive verb. It, uh, that stuff, uh, me glow, my eyes glaze over, man. Just screw it. Forget it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get it. Um, and I'm not even going to try. So I'll never learn Hebrew because you have to know those things to fully under, even if you read Hebrew, you have to be able to understand the nuances of all that to fully understand Hebrew. This is a nested problem. So the Christian church has a point there when they object. Why do I say that? Because most of these Hebrew roots movement people don't read Hebrew. So how the heck do they know what they're talking about? There's no magic in a word, folks. A word is just a label we assign to something. It's the idea and the concept behind it. Tortoise also says, so when the when they movement, it's not clearly defined and cannot be just like an ancient emperor's rule over the land. Correct. There are no, that's why it's called a movement instead of a, of a uh, denomination. It's, there's no clear borders or boundaries. It's all fuzzy around the edges. It's It's one of those things that exists, but, you know, it's like pornography. Define pornography. I can't define it for you, but I know it when I see it, which by the way, one of the reasons we have trouble with this is Greeks don't like to think this way. Greeks want concrete definitions and explanations. We have a Western Greek. We inherit the Greek thinking into the Western world. So we like concrete definitions and we will force them on things that have fuzzy explanations. And guess what? The Hebrew is happy with the Hebrew is happy with fuzzy explanations. He doesn't have that problem. If you're going to take somebody who's happy with fuzzy explanations and somebody who must have concrete explanations and you both read the same passage, a, a, an ambiguous passage that can be taken many ways, guess what's going to happen? One of you is going to definitely get it wrong. The other is going to be happy with multiple explanations at the same time. Because a lot of the Hebrews, when you read the Bible in the Hebrew mindset, that's what happens with a lot of those passages. I tell people my favorite word is and, you know, this and that. Yes, as long as they don't contradict, yes, means both. Charlie says his word, is, his favorite word is yes. And what does it mean? Does it mean this or that? Yes. That's his way of saying both or and. Well, you don't get this until you start understanding from a Hebrew perspective. In which case, that's the strength of the Hebrew roots movement. It also benefits from the fact that it's actually the fulfillment of a prophecy. What'd you say, Joe? I said the Hebrew roots movement is the fulfillment of a prophecy. No, it can't be, Joe. Otherwise, my Christians would know that. No, they wouldn't. Because at the, the heart of their problem is Old Testament illiteracy. 
Well, I can read, Joe. That's not what I'm telling you. What I mean is you don't know it. Well, I've read it 15 times, Joe. You haven't read it as a Hebrew. Well, no, but I don't have to. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Again, the simplest explanation for me is if I am a Star Wars fan and that's all I know, and I'm trying to explain the Star Trek to you, I'm going to use Star Wars metaphors because I don't know Star Trek. And if you're trying to explain Obi-Wan and Luke in terms, you know, trying to explain Kirk in terms of Obi-Wan and Luke, you're going to get that wrong, man, because Kirk is a cross between Luke and Anakin all wrapped up into one little body. Okay. Um, it don't work. You're not speaking the same language about the same ideas. That's the point. It doesn't work. And in this case, it's not just language, it's mindset. And what we have is two body of two bodies in general of devout believers going at each other when they should be helping each other. They should be sharpening each other. They should be listening to each other. They should be talking to each other with the scriptures right in the middle of the discussion opened up. Okay, well, being good barians. Well, what do we make of this? Okay, well, I, I see your point, but then what how does your point work on this? And scripture to scripture, comparing them until it all works out into a, a harmonious understanding of the whole Bible that doesn't your understanding doesn't con con contradict or conflict anymore. That's what we're supposed to do. We don't want to do that. Well, why? One side, you know, you're lawless. The other side, well, you're a heretic. And well, cool. Why does Satan have to get to work here? You're doing it for him, doing all the work to divide the body for him. He doesn't have to do anything. But at the same time. When the church looks at the Hebrew roots movement and says, look, you don't have any defined doctrine or solid leadership. You're right. It is spirit led. Well, how do you know that, Joe? Because it's across the entire Christian community from every denomination is moving in this direction. And it's a uniform direction for the most part. Yeah, you got a bunch of cats running around and it doesn't look uniform, but they're all heading in the same direction. There's a velocity vector there. They're all trying to find the way back to the original first century church, the book of Acts church. So what happens without defined leadership and doctrine? That's just right for Satan to put a lot of wolves in that flock. And that's what's happening. Just a second, JMW, I'll get to you. Leave that up, Charlie. No, leave it up, Charlie. But so what happens is you get all these wolves in the flock, but that the Christian church looks at the flock and says, see, the flock is wolves. No, 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 no. Get the wolves out of there, then look at the flock and see what you have. Same thing for your Christian church. You've got a lot of wolves in there too, but you seem to be blind to them. Comment on the board from JMW. I think that is why scripture speaks to you in different ways at different points in your life. Exactly. As you grow, it'll mean more and more to you in different ways, in different areas. And that, and it's not just different points of your life. It's different points of your spiritual maturity. And you can backslide. You can go from being a senior back all the way back to being a freshman again if you screw up. But this is what I'm trying to address for, and you know, we're going to try and put this into a book form. And if <laughs> poor world. I'm going to be the primary author, but Charlie is going to help me format and shape the ideas. The reason I'm going to be the primary author is we're going to be writing a formal argument. This is going to be something that if we wanted to, this is our doctoral thesis. We want to be able to defend it against all sides that come after it. Well, I do have a knack for being able to write that way. And I write very tight, meaning really good, sound, logical, uh, arguments that are not no fallacies and th there's just no there's no chinks in the oh, i'm not supposed to say chinks in the armor that makes me a racist 
there are no holes in the armor. So there's no way in to destroy my argument. Well, I'm really, really, really good at that. And I've been told that by a lot of liberal professors. <laughs> so it, I'll do the primary writing. And in some ways, it's probably going to be a little on the boring side for some people. And it's probably going to have a lot more writing in it than most people would like. And that's why we're already looking at it. It'll probably be a series of books. But the whole purpose is to beat it to ground hard so that there's no wiggle room for anybody when it's all done. The only thing that we hope to leave is ambiguity in what the scriptures might actually mean. And we will when we know that there's more than one way to take it, we'll acknowledge it. We don't need to hide. I'm not afraid of the scripture. It's not going to scare me if I don't know specifically what it is God wants me to get from it, because it may be, like JMW says, it'll mean this to you today, Joe. 15 years from now, it'll mean that. Well, the problem with that is if I've got a believer I'm studying with, and I know they have, they're more advanced in their, their faith, they're more mature faith-wise, they could be a 10-year-old for all I know and be more advanced in their spiritual maturity. Well, when that 10-year-old spiritually advanced believer tells me, well, Joe, this is what the passage means, I've got to stop saying, no, it doesn't. I've got to stop imposing my understanding on that one. But the discernment there is, are they actually spiritually more mature than I am or not? If I think they are, I should assume that they might be seeing something I don't because they're farther down the trail than I am. They've, they've grown in the spirit. And it might also be, I'll never see it no matter how mature I get because the spirit doesn't want me to see it. Trust the spirit to do his work. Test against the scriptures for the fruit. Test their fruit against the scriptures. Are they in line with the scriptures or not? And right now, at the point where I'm at in, in my study of this subject, what I'm looking at is the two pro-Hebrew Roots Movement books here and the two anti-Hebrew Roots Movement books. <laughs> they both have problems lining up with scripture as I understand the scriptures. Now, maybe I'm the one who should be studying from both of them and I should shut up. I don't know. All I know to do is to read the rule book as best I can understand it in its original cultural and language, you know, linguistic contexts. And with all the, and folks, <laughs> I study from a lot of teachers. Most of them are dead and gone, long since dead and gone. But they still, the reference books on my shelf are still the, they're the reference book right now within the Christian body. I have the reference book for figures of speech in the Hebrew language. I have the one that's accepted by everybody. If I go to university class, you know, the, the seminary school, that's the book that's going to be on the shelf. I have the same one for numerology. I have the same one for covenants. I have the same one for BDB for how to understand the Hebrew. Let I've got all, I bought them. I've got two very expensive reference shelves at home. I study all of that stuff. And I study from several different translations and I try to understand it in a harmonious way. So I, I might still be wrong. Don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand, please. I'm aware that I can be wrong. I'm just pointing out that mine is not a surface level studying of the scriptures. I'm digging, man. I got the steam shovel out. I'm trying to understand. I'm wrestling with him. And when I read both sets of, of, of arguments, the logic that he, that God, Yahweh put into my head says, a pox on both your houses. Where's your logic? Didn't any of you four learn logic? 
And from what I've seen in their writing, the answer is no. So I want to bring logic to this debate and say, hey, you, you, sit down. Here's what you're saying. Here's what you're saying. Here's what you've missed. Here's what I know you, I know both of you have missed this because I've been reading it. And then let's see if we can't find somewhere in the middle. So for the next two Fridays, that's what we're going to do. And, and we'll address the, the points today in great depth and detail. Now, where are you at? The majority of you out there are in what we would, for lack of a better term, visible church, Christian of some sort, I, Protestant, Catholic, I, whatever. I don't care. That's not the point. The point is there are certain doctrines common to both the Catholics and the Protestants that I know as a fact have strayed from the way. The way tells me in very clear language, Jesus came to fulfill the law. Okay. Look at that passage in great detail, very closely. It doesn't say what you think it says. Matter of fact, we're going a little, I'm going to just skip through a few things here real quick until I find that one I'm looking for, because I think I got it in here. If I'm not mistaken. Yep, I guess I don't. All right. The one where it says he's come to fulfill the law, that's uh, Matthew somewhere in there, I think it is. What you have to understand there is this is, do not think that I have come to, you know, destroy or, or, or do away with the prophets and the, the, the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. Okay. In that passage, what he means by the law and the prophets, that's a shorthand. Just like you and I would say, you know, the founding documents. What are we talking about? Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, Bill of Rights, right? Well, when he says law, he's, that's a shorthand for Moses, the Pentateuch, first five books of the Jewish Bible. And the prophets, those were the last books of, of not even Jewish, that, the, but of the Orthodox Bible at the time of the Tanakh, the Tanakh. Let's be precise with our, precise with our language, the Tanakh, what we would call a Jewish Bible, but it's the scriptures as what are going to be found in the synagogue at the time. So what he's saying is start to finish. Don't think I've come to do away with start to finish. I have not come to do away with the Aleph and the Tav or the Alpha and Omega. I didn't do that. I come to fulfill it. Okay, we read fulfill, and we think that means he's he's come to, to, to live it perfectly and do away with it, you know, fill it up, put an end to it. Well, like Mr. Atkins points out, that word can mean something else and usually does. It means to set right or to live it correctly or to fully and properly teach it. But when you put them together, it's a saying. I have not come to destroy the Tanakh, but to teach it properly. Now, how do I know that's the correct way of looking at this? Well, if he's going to, yes, Matthew 5, 17. Thank you, Marianne. If he's going to fulfill the law, well, how does he fulfill the law that addresses women? He's not a female. How does he fulfill the law that addresses uh, Gentiles? He's not a Gentile. How does he fulfill the Levitical laws? He's not a Levite. Oopsie. He can't fulfill all those laws. So our common understanding in the Christian church is wrong. I didn't say all of our individual understandings. I said the church's common understanding of that passage in Matthew is wrong. We've looked at it with a Greek mindset. It has to be wrong. Simple logic tells us it's wrong. And then the next couple of passage tell us it's wrong. He says not one stroke of the law will pass away until all is accomplished. Okay. Keep going with the logic. Has everything in prophecy been accomplished? Well, no, Joe, he means just the uh, the crucifixion. Does it say until the crucifixion is accomplished or does it say all? Oopsie. 
So you don't know. Neither do I. Do not narrow it. When you don't know, expand it. Expand the possibilities. Don't narrow them. There's nothing in that passage that'll let us, oh, yes, there is. There is something that'll let us narrow it. The very next verses. So those who teach anybody to uphold the law, defend the law, those who obey it and uphold it will be called great in the kingdom. And those who teach anybody to nullify or do away with the law will be least. So what does he tell us in that passage? He tells us that he didn't come to do away with the Tanakh, the Torah, the whole Torah, but to uphold it. That's what he means by fulfill, to teach it properly, to defend it. And then he says, don't think that the Torah goes away because it'll be here until the end of time. So I know that the Torah applies to everybody, including his believers. It's eternal. And then anybody who obeys the Torah will be called great in the kingdom. And anybody who doesn't will be called least. In one passage, one little paragraph in my Bible, logic is very simple there. And I'm looking at that with a Greek mindset a more advanced Greek mindset who knows that I can't settle just for the surface meaning of the words. Because sometimes when you put two apparently non, non-associated non words together, they mean something entirely different. That's what figures of speech are all about. Okay? Like if you live in the South, a lot of us do. The bulk of my audience lives in the South. What do you call it when the sun is out but it's raining? There's a phrase for that. Does anybody know it? We like to say the devil's beating his wife. What's that got to do with rain when the sun is out? Nothing. So if you're reading that 1,000, 1,500 years from now, and you're totally divorced from our culture, you're going to try to force an understanding on that from whatever position you're reading, and you're 99.9% sure to get that wrong. Because the actual words have nothing to do with what we're talking about. Well, the Bible's no different. So, yeah, liquid sunshine is on, is another tortoise. The, the Bible's no different. You have to go back and un- look for somebody who's done the work to try to understand what these m- phrases mean. But in this case, in this case, the passages around Matthew 5, 17 and forward, those are actually fairly self-evident if we let Jesus talk for himself. We know that he didn't mean that he came to fulfill all of it because he couldn't. He was a Jew from the house of Judah. He's male. Heck, he couldn't even, best we know, he couldn't fulfill the part of the law that deal with husbands and wives because he's married to the body of believers. And that wedding hasn't happened yet. So there's plenty of the law he couldn't have lived perfectly. And it doesn't say he came to live perfectly just those parts that he could live. That doesn't say that. Stop assuming facts, not in evidence. Objection, Your Honor. You only have what's there. And what's there, the first passage is explained by the second. The second says the law doesn't go away, not one stroke or tittle of it. Well, he didn't come to destroy but to fulfill. And if he's fulfilled it and done away with it, then the the law goes. But he says, nope, it's going to be here till the end. And then until the end, those who teach it are great and those who don't are least. That passage is very self-explanatory. We've come at it with the traditions of men and we twist it in our mind to say something it doesn't. This is how we're going to address all of these things in the next. I'm going to just in brief in the next two weeks, 
But when Charlie and I start writing the book, each one of these things will probably be a chapter. And even before we do that, we've got to set up the problem better than what I did today. We got to set it up in great detail. Then we got to, we need a glossary, man. There's certain terms we got to go over. We got to scripturally define them. Here's where the scripture says these things mean this passage, this passage, this passage. We got to set a common vocabulary. And then we can start getting in. You know, then we got to say, okay, well, this is what the Hebrew roots movement is and what they generally believe. That's going to be a bugabear. Nobody else has been able to define that yet. And then we got to say, well, these are the objections. And this is, you know, and then we go into the individual objection. This is, this is not going to be a piece of cake for us. But as a believer who's grown up in a visible Christian church, this is something you better start wrestling with. Because if the Hebrew roots movement is closer to truth than the Christian, general Christian church is, Catholic, Protestant, doesn't matter, then you've been taught a false messiah and a false gospel. Now, the church claims that the Hebrew roots movement teaches a false messiah and a false gospel. I want to examine that. Do they? I don't know. We'll find out. In um, next week, probably, or the week after, you're gonna. I, you know, I like Dr. Michael Heiser. Recently passed on this year, and I love his teaching. This is one area where he gets it very wrong. Because he's got a video out when he's, you know, he's close to last days of his life. He's he's looking. You know, he's got cancer. You can tell in the video that he's fighting cancer. And one of the questions is read to him. He says, what do I do with the Hebrew Roots Movement people? How do I talk to them and explain to them they're wrong? And he says, tell them to read Paul. Okay. I have read Paul. And until Dr. Heiser and the Christian Church can give me an answer to the understanding in this book, this is the Pauline paradox. What did Paul teach about the law of God? Until you can answer their way of reading Paul and show me where these people are wrong, Reading Paul is not the answer to how to talk to the Hebrew Roots Movement people. Especially since when you read this book, this makes a lot of sense. And it answers questions that the, the visible church, the, the Christian, Catholic, Protestant, visible church cannot answer. Let me ask you a question, and I'm very serious about this. Why did Jesus have to die? Make propitiation for sins. Why? Well, because he did. Why? I'm not joking. Can anybody on the board answer to me why, specifically why did he have to die? If you read Pauline Paradox, Paul tells you in Romans 7. But he starts with, I'm now talking to those who know the law. Well. And then he goes on. If you do not know the law well, you're not even going to track with Paul's thinking, let alone understand what he's explaining. Whoopsie. There is no Christian explanation for why Jesus had to die. Hebrew explanation is easy peasy. The house of Israel was given a divorce. The law says that the house of Israel can't holds the birthright. So if you want to come into the kingdom, you have to be grafted into the house of Israel. Paul explains that in the book of Romans. But it still doesn't matter 
if you're grafted into the house of Israel, you cannot remarry God unless God dies or he would break the law. Who and what was Jesus? Yahweh in the flesh. What did he do? Died. He fulfilled the requirements of the law. So now the Messiah, the Messiah may marry his bride again. That's what that, that's why he had to die. Marianne Boatwright on the board, he said, didn't he have to die so that the marriage house of it? Yes, bingo. There you go. Now show me a quote unquote Christian preacher who has ever taught that answer. Well, Joe, that's not what Paul was talking. Paul just said, I am now talking to those who know the Torah very well. In other words, I don't want to have to explain the elementary to you. You're supposed to know it. And he's like, if you don't know it, like the back of your hand, you're excused. This is above your head. And yeah, he's probably being that snarky because he took the time to say, I'm only talking to those who really, really know the law. Well, no, Joe, he says, well, a testament, you've got to die for your testament to come into being. A last will and testament is a contract. A contract can be broken. Once it's broken, it cannot be put back in place again. You have to write a whole new contract. If the contract is null and void, all of Yahweh's promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are null and void. It was a covenant. Covenants can be restored. They are never voided. They're never gone. You can break them and get out of, of keeping with the covenant, but you can restore it. At that time, you cannot change the principles of the covenant, but you can change the way it's shown. The covenant says, I must have blood sacrifice for you to have your sins forgiven. Yeshua gave you a blood sacrifice. Now, all you have to do to be covered with it is to accept it. Cover yourself with it by accepting him as your Lord and Savior, and he will mediate for you daily. His blood covers you all for once and for all for all times. The blood sacrifice is still there. How it's represented and how it applies in your life was what changed, not the necessity for blood to wash away your sins. And this is what we're not understanding because we get caught in the verse war, in the word war, and we will not look at the concepts together as brothers and sisters in Christ and try to understand what he's teaching us. We have our way of understanding it. We must be right. Everybody else has got to be wrong. Congratulations. You are one self-centered believer. Second Thessalonians 2. You think you're God. I'm happy to know that I don't have it all right. And I'm happy to know he will teach me to the day I die and probably into eternity. I'm okay with that. I don't have to know all the answers. I'm not him. I'm okay with that. Are you? The problem is, in this case, Hebrew Roots Movement versus Visible Church, the Hebrew Roots Movement, or a great many of them, in their zeal for the Lord and quest to get back to a purer faith, you know what it is? There's a prophecy that says he will remove all this stuff out of the mouths of the house of Israel. All the Baals, all the false worship, all of this. It's started with the Reformation. It never ended. The Hebrew Roots Movement is a perpetuation of where it picks up from where the Protestants stopped and keeps moving forward back to the original faith. So maybe, rather than attacking the Hebrew Roots Movement, they're Christian teachers and pastors. Maybe you should pay more attention to them, listen to them, 
examine what it is they're seeing in the scriptures, study it and test it, and then maybe join your proper, your, your formal teaching to their studies of the scriptures and see if you can't provide a little more guidance. And quit worrying about your ministry, because if it's your ministry, you're the apostate. You're the heretic. Last I looked, it's his kingdom, his gospel, his ministry. You're just a servant. Get yourself in your right place there, teachers. Know, get inside the lines. Know your place. Stay in your box. Stop trying to promote yourself over the Son and the Father. You teach and defend his word, not your ministry. You teach and seek his kingdom, not yours. And I'm talking to teachers, pastors, preachers. That's who I'm addressing right now. I'm not talking to the layman. I'm talking to would-be self-professed teachers. I know beyond shadow of a doubt he's told me to teach. He'll take my life if I quit and try to quit. He's taken my health once. He's taken my money once. There's only one thing left. I ain't doing that. But for the layman, for the rank and file, for the sheep and the flock, you're still responsible to your own salvation. Scripture says so very clearly. Seek good, sound teachers. Test what they tell you against the scriptures for yourself. Seek confirmation from the Spirit in prayer. Fast if you have to. It's not legalism. Legalism is when you think God owes it to you because you did X, Y, Z. That's legalism. When Paul says the Judaizers say you got to get some circumcised to be saved, that's legalism. But if I get circumcised because I know that that's part of the covenant with Abraham and I just want to be obedient, that is not legalism. I'm not doing it to be saved. I'm doing it out of obedience. So the same action can be legalistic and not legalistic at the same time, depending on your heart, your intentions, your desires. Why are you doing it? What is your motivation? Yes, tortoise, he owes us nothing at all, and we can't earn anything. All right, let's wrap this up. Thank you for being here. I appreciate that. We love each and every one of you. Trust me, I would not be doing this if I didn't have an agape love for each and every one of you out there. And for a lot of you, the filial love, brotherly love, getting to know you on the board is exciting for us. We like that. I love seeing the the growing and participation in, in the camaraderie. That, that's, that's a good thing. We're going to need that in the future. Um, and I'll tell you about that in just a second. If you like what we're doing, at the very least, please give us the thumbs up or, you know, up rumble or whatever. That talks to Natasha and Charlie and I. Says, hey, y'all y'all did okay today. Joe, bleh, whatever, but you guys did okay. Okay, well, that's we look at that for our affirmation. That's our personal, okay. And when the numbers aren't as good, we look back on that, okay, what did we do wrong and what could we have done better? You know, we, we do do self-examinations and every now and then we, you, you probably see it after the show when we don't end it just right. You see us on the board. We do a post-show wrap up. It's the military in me. If we doing something that you think helps other people, or you think it might help somebody in your life, share the show with them. Please send them a link to the show you want them to watch first and warn them about me. I know that Charlie and Natasha are a lot friendlier than I am. They're fuzzy and cuddly. I mean, especially the AI. Come on, man. That's a, that's a furry kitty cat. You, you, Scratch your ears and she purrs. She might have caught on this time, Charlie. <laughs> She's getting better. Yeah. 
so it, yeah, I get it. Warn people about me, but ask them to give the show a little, you know, more than just one show. It grows on itself. It builds on itself. It's meant to. And we will be doing reviews starting in the first of the year. Well, second of the year, but anyhow, um, send them the link directly. If you just share it on social media, it's going to be way down in their feed. We, we know that as a fact. Um, Dodo cop people are still playing with us on their pages and through our email and, in the comments and in, in our kitty cats running around, you know, sniping them as fast as she can. Our AI loves to do that. And she's pretty good at it too. She hasn't gotten the wrong an, an innocent person yet. So one other thing, Monday is manic Monday. One of the scariest shows I've ever done. You need to be here. A friend of mine showed me a couple of articles that everything clicked in my head. He'd already done that. The math. It happens immediately. When you see the articles, I think I know how they intend to take this country over by force. And it's in the, it's in the news. You're just not, it's not being put together for you. We're going to war game Monday with the headlines. And in a, in a material sense, if you love this country in a, in a worldly sense, in a United States sense, and even for the the safety and welfare of your family and physical safety and welfare of your family, this will be the scariest show I've ever done because I firmly believe that my lawyer friend found the key. They admitted it. They boasted about it. They bragged about it. And man, if this is the case, it's already too late. We're done. We'll cover that Monday. Until then, y'all take care of yourselves. Stay safe. Keep an eye out what's going on around you. Scary world out there. Stay close to your family and friends. If you have any questions, comments, anything that you just didn't want to comment about publicly, send us an email, joe at the road to concord.com. I will get to it, I promise. Um, I generally try to catch up on those emails on the weekend. Otherwise, y'all stay safe and we'll see you Monday. Take care. <laughs>